Well, we've designated this a unique Sunday. We've called it a Vision Sunday. And it's not simply, hey, every year we give a vision for the year. We have been, over the last really year and a half, looking as leadership, as your servants, to ask God where he might lead us in these five years ahead. And we've been spending a lot of time in prayer, in conversation, in evaluation, asking not only where we are, where we want to go. And this morning, all I simply want to do is give you the big picture of this. I'm not trying to give you all the detail or even strategy for that. I hope that you can gain with us where we sense, where we believe God is leading us. And you can think of it this way, that you're on a journey. Think of, I don't know how many of you have ever been out west where you're on this road and you look ahead and there's these beautiful mountains ahead and you know that's where you're going, but you're not there yet. And I want you to picture that what we're trying to get a vision of is the mountains, where God's taking us, where we believe God's leading us, and what that's to look like. Now, to get us there, to get us started, and we shared some of this at one of our core nights, so it's not completely new, but we haven't really rolled it out to everyone. So I want you to consider that we're, th- we're one church in three different communities. We're in the Tri-Cities, we're in Coopersville, and we're in Muskegon. And just consider with me for a minute that each of our communities are known for different things, right? We all have things we're known for. And then there's who we think we are and who we're known for, and then the people outside that visit and say, what are we really known for? And if you just take a very simple example, uh, we are known in the Tri-Cities for Coast Guard Festival, and in particular, we are known for the Musical Fountain. Love it, hate it, we're known for it. People come from all around, and they, oh, you got to see the Musical Fountain, where we go. And the crazy part is people either really think it's great, or they go, why would you watch water move to lights with music? I don't understand. It goes both ways on it, but we're known for this. You understand that, right? For the whole Coast Guard thing, but... Have you ever talked to someone, hey, have you ever seen the musical fountain? They either go, yeah, oh, they don't know what to say, but they have a view. Make sense? And this is true in every community. In fact, every one of our communities have festivals. I don't know if you know this here in Spring Lake, but Coopersville has what's called the Outhouse 500. This happens in February, I believe, and people, this is just part of it, people build outhouses and they run them. And it was great. At, at nine, I, there, we had a few Coopersville people in Spring Lake, and they were noisy and loud, pumped about their Outhouse 500. I mean, it's a badge of honor, not only having it, but winning it, I'm sure. It's a great event. You guys are looking like you don't even know what I'm talking about. Come on. I like it. I love it. Don't act like you're above this thing either. Quit acting like that. Let me show you Muskegon. They're, they're known for festivals. They have lots of them. In fact, the Irish Music Festival is one of them. And I knew if I mentioned this, I'd have people going, nah, you're not mentioning the festival that's Christian. Mention the Christian festival. We're, we're Christians. Come on. And we have this, so we have Unity Fest happens there too. I didn't want to have any, oh, I just can't believe he's such a pagan. He didn't mention Chris, Christian festivals. Each of our communities is known for different things. Those are just simple ones. And this is true, really. We know of every area and every kind of group, don't we? It's funny. I remember moving uh, to Holland when I uh, went to college, and I didn't even know Dutch were unique people. But when you move to Holland, you find out there's two things. It's called Dutch clean and going Dutch. Two things you understand. Dutch clean means it's actually clean, and it's really clean. And in case you don't think that's true, I've flown to Amsterdam. Guess what? The airport is like a Dutch... Oh, my goodness. You could eat anywhere and want to on the floor. It's just... Like, I think they see dirt and go, that's just wrong. Get rid of it. And Dutch, I won't even get into Dutch, um, going Dutch, but you get the idea. It's crazy how we, and we have this individually, we have things we're known for too. You realize that. There's the things we think we're known for and the things we're known for as well, as I've told you before. Uh, So I remember even sharing where I grew up and people just go, oh, 
because they knew people that come from there are snotty and a little bit uppity, and it's like, so what's wrong with that? No, I didn't say that. I, I find it's funny, like for me too, it doesn't matter what I do. My job is a pastor, but I will meet people, and if, I, if they've been around a while, they'll say, oh, you're the guy who plays guitar. But I don't do anything else. I'm just a guy that plays guitar. When I was growing up, I was a, my dad was a doctor. That's all I was. It's, that was your identity. Oh, I'm known for this. We all have it, right? And, and churches have this too. In fact, we would say churches in, in any community are known for things. When I first got here and I would meet people and tell them I work, worked here, I would hear things like, oh, you're at the Wesleyan church. Oh, you're the one that does the Easter thing. That's what we're known for. We have an Easter production. Then not long after that, we're the church that blocked traffic going to the beach all summer because we used to have a, have a police officer from this campus out because we used to have to go out on M104. Now, just a few years ago, we had a, a road built off the side and we could come to the actual light. But before that, we were despised. We thought it was a great thing. Yeah, we got to have a police officer out front. It was, no, we hate you for having a police officer out front. So there's the things you hope you're known for and the things you're actually known for. You tracking with me so far? Now, I want to say that because what we're going to look at, what we're going to ask today... And it's the question we kind of ask, looking ahead, is what do we want to be known for? And I don't mean what do we want our reputation. What do we actually want to be and do? And that's what we're known for. So we're going to look at one really simple story in what's called the book of Acts. Now, Acts is really the story of the early church. So you have these four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have Acts, which is how that unfolds after his resurrection. And then all these letters that follow, which are letters to the church that begins to grow around the world. But Acts is really the story of the early church. And so we're going to go through this story, and it primarily is going to focus on two of Jesus' close followers, Peter and John. And I just want you to ask the question, what do you think people knew them for? What do you think they wanted to be known for? And we're going to keep asking it as we go through the story. It's something for us to consider and then keep asking, what do we think God wants us to be known for? What are we seeking to be known for? So let me start in Acts chapter 3. It tells us, Peter and John one day are going up to the temple at the time of prayer, three in the afternoon. Now, I, I want to stop there just for a second, just so you understand the context of this. Peter and John were Jewish men. They were Jewish men that believed the story of Messiah, that one day he would come, live, die, and rise again. And they're going, we think it happened. That's what they were, but they were still Jewish men. And so there were practices, disciplines they had of prayer at different times of the day. They were going to the temple at three because that's what the Jews did to pray, to be with God, and not just to do it alone, to do it together. So they're doing a practice. Now, maybe you could even stop there and go, do we want to be people that are known for how we practice our faith? Is that something we want to be known for? We want people to say, of those people, they really practice their faith. They're, they're diligent. They're disciplined in this. Maybe we could ask that question. Let me continue and see what happens. Now, they see a man there who's lame from birth, and he was carried to the temple at a gate called Beautiful, which is its own story, but we're not going to go there today, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them, for money. Now, to understand Jewish culture, they had a thing called righteous, righteous acts. You'll hear, if you're familiar with Jesus' teaching, we talk about righteous acts, not seen before men, but before God. 
They were, when they gave to the poor, it's called almsgiving, it was considered a righteous act. In other words, their duty and obligation was to give to those in need. So this man had spent his whole life in need. His friends took him to this temple knowing these diligent, disciplined Jewish people are going to give to them and help him survive. That is their religious duty. It's what they're supposed to do. But what we see at the heart of it is people that are always helping those in need. Maybe you'd even say that's what we want to be. Is that part of what we want to be known for? Now, it's crazy what happens when, when this goes on. As the story continues, it says this very clearly. Peter and John looked straight at him, meaning they looked at him directly and saw him. And I think even more it's saying that they saw into him. Like they saw him. They didn't just walk past and go, oh, here's someone that our duty for. They looked and saw him. This man who'd spent his whole life hopeless and just needing anything he could get to get by moment by moment and day by day. And it was the same day after day after day because every day he was taken there, every day he was given a little something and every day he went back hoping he'd have enough to beg for the next day. They saw into him. And they knew, it says, that he wanted money. And then Peter's response is just one of those things. It's one of my favorite just statements in Scripture. He said to him, listen, we don't have money. He said, silver and gold, I don't have. In other words, we don't have what you're asking for. But in the name of Jesus Christ from Nazareth, get up and walk. Come on. Now, I love what it says happens. It says immediately the... His, literally, his ankles strengthened. They helped him up. And then it says he started to walk. Can you imagine he's never walked? Oh, I'm walking. No, it doesn't scream like that, but I think he was. Then it says he started to jump. Can, can you believe, I've never been able to walk. I wonder if I can jump. This is a dude that can't walk. If I do this too long, I'm gonna be sucking some air, but I'm gonna do it just for a minute. And, I, and it says he went into the temple praising God. He's walking, he's jumping. I think he's dancing. I think he's going, woo, woo, come on. I think he just said, oh, yeah, let's do it. Oh, come on. I'm going to play this back for my kids sometime because people clapped when I danced. That's just, like, I don't know, it was like, wow, the old man can move or we like the moves or let's just courtesy, do something, I don't know. In other words, what had happened he never saw coming. Somewhere out of all this mess, the resurrection of Jesus gave hope to a man who was hopeless. I want you to consider that for a minute. Consider that in your own life. Because I don't want to run past this and go, we get to be Peter and John. Some of us can just be the beggar. Maybe you feel hopeless today. Maybe you're literally in a place where every day is like the next day and the next day, and you're just begging for enough to get by. And what God said through Peter and John is, I see you. Oh, and not only do I see you, I'm going to give you new life and hope. And I don't want to miss, because before we're done, I want to pray for people that need that today. But I also want to remind you, it was Peter and John that brought it. Maybe that's what we're called to do. Maybe who we're to be known for is people that actually come and see people hopeless and helpless. And both naturally and supernaturally, we demonstrate and see the kingdom move through the power of Jesus. That sounds like a good thing to be known for, doesn't it? 
Now, it's crazy when that happens because it says all these other people were amazed. In other words, they saw the guy they walked past every day. They knew his hopeless journey. They knew where he lived. They knew who brought him. They knew what he needed just to get by, and they couldn't believe what happened. So guess what? They want to go ask Pete and John what's going on. And it tells us they went to him. Now, they're excited, but they go to him. So we take it up a little later in the story, and Peter sees them. He sees us, and he says this to them. Hey, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? (laughs) I still think that's so funny. Why does this surprise you? Because I've never seen someone walk and dance and jump that hasn't before. And the moves on that dude dancing were just amazing on their own. So why do you stare at us as if it is by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Now, I, I wish I had time to go back and tell you all about Peter's journey before, but it, needless to say, he was a self-promoter all through the time Jesus walks the earth. He's honest. There's times where he wants to be lifted up. There's times where he deeply wants to respond, but he's a confused man that's taking credit where he shouldn't and not taking responsibility where he should at times. And now he's not even trying to get an ounce of it. In fact, he's being really clear. Hey, hey, don't, don't confuse this. Don't confuse this at all. This has nothing to do with me and John or our spirituality. We are not special people that God said, oh, you're special, you get to do this. The only reason this happened is what he goes on to say is that Jesus did it. And then he goes on. This is the part that's kind of crazy in all of this is he goes on to tell them things that aren't very positive and difficult. Now, let me, before I tell you that, let me just pause for a minute. Maybe what we want to be known for is people that see and demonstrate the kingdom of God and then point to Jesus. It's him. It sounds great, doesn't it? Now, if you're anything like me, I would like to point to him and just go, well, you can bring a little back this way. It was him. I mean, I am the one he did it through, but it was him. Uh, But, you know, I was there. Uh, You weren't there. No, you don't have any of those ego things? I know you do. I know I'm not alone. I mean, you know, that's a miracle in and of itself, by the way. And, and go ahead and read through the book of Acts. You'll see it over and over and over again. One of the things they're jealous for is to never take credit for something Jesus did. Now, where they go on in this story, and now they're with people that want to know. So they're saying it's Jesus, which is great. But where they go from that of telling them it's Jesus is not real positive. Because then after he does this, he says, listen, you, you people, you handed Jesus over to Pilate. You disowned him. And then he makes this really kind of hard statement. Pilate wanted to let him go, and instead you released a murderer. That's how he says it. You realize that's harsh, right? I just want to make sure you realize. He goes on and it gets worse. Oh, and, and by the way, you killed the author of life. <laughs> I know you came to hear how this guy walked, but you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And we're witnesses of it. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as all of you can see. Now, I hear this sometimes that this is really the proclamation of bold truth. Listen, it's not their problem whether people believe or not. They're just going to lay it out there. Jesus Rose, and you people caused the problem. It's your fault. That's how we can hear it. Now, we could want to be known as people of bold truth. All we do is proclaim it. We don't worry about it. I I want you to know that's not complete in where this goes. 
But there is kind of, there can be this thing. And, and these are polarizations. Sometimes the church wants to be known for being bold. Other times we want to be known for being so accepting and endorsing and loving that we basically say Jesus doesn't have any standard or way of anything. He just loves everything the way it is. And both of those churches can want to be known for. And they're incomplete. And we'll see how they're incomplete in this story because Peter doesn't leave it there. He doesn't just say that. He then gets kind. Hey, you didn't know. You didn't really know or see who Jesus was, and God moved through it anyway, is what he says. God actually moved through it, and Jesus is alive and wants to bless and let you be part of his family. And then he just tells them two simple things. You just have to repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. So what he's simply doing is they first get to see the kingdom and how Jesus moves, and then he's explaining and telling them. We call it show and tell. They show and they tell. They show and they tell. And by the way, that's how the church is supposed to live. We demonstrate the kingdom naturally and supernaturally. It doesn't mean everything's a miracle, but it means we move and we need God to move in it naturally and supernaturally. And then we explain who Jesus is and the resurrection behind it. There's grace and truth. Repent and believe. What it means is Peter's telling them, listen, it's true that we all, and he's saying this to all of us, every one of us is a part of the wickedness that put Jesus to death. In other words, we can't read that story and go, those, oh, those Jews, they just didn't know what they were doing. If they were like me, I wouldn't have done that. Because we would have. We'd all miss it, and we all do miss it. And he's saying we're a part of that. And he's saying in the midst of all this truth of us having our own mess and wickedness, Jesus' resurrection actually is merciful to bring new life out of it. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Someone say, that's all the church is about. As long as we tell them, repent and believe and share that news we proclaim it, that's our job. Is that what we're going to be known for? Let me take you on more into the story. After this happens, the religious leaders are not happy because God's moving through all this. And by the way, 5,000 people are added to their number through all of this. I want you to get that picture too. A demonstration of the resurrection of Jesus through this healing causes questions, and then they're told about it. They're show, showing it and telling it. 5,000 people go, that's what I want. <laughs> I just love how it brings us. Now, that upset the religious leaders. So they basically throw Peter and John into jail. And then they bring them before them, and they ask them, hey, by what power did you do this? They're trying to catch them because they're trying to put an end to this. It's threatening their religious way. They are not happy with what's happening. We get into chapter 4, and Peter responds. Hey, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, which sometimes I just want to stop and read that over and over again, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to know the difference between Peter before the resurrection and Peter afterwards? It's right there. Something changed when he was filled with the Holy Spirit of how he lived. And you, you should just read it. Just read Luke and Acts. Those, are, those go together. Luke is one of the accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Acts is what follows. It's considered a two-volume part of it. And you will see how he changes because he's filled with the Spirit. And it is so fun to watch. And then he's going to explain now to them what happened. Rulers and elders of the people were being called to, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked to say how he was healed, then know this. Know this, all of you in the people of Israel. Now, I hope you can hear this with harsh sarcasm because it's exactly how I hear it. So let me get this straight. The dude couldn't walk his whole life. You saw him get healed. His whole life has changed, and people are wanting to follow 
God from it, and you're wanting to know, basically, like, can you, can you defend why you did this and who did this? You get how that's odd, right? That's what he's saying. Okay, so, so you're wanting us to defend. Now, he knows this is opposition and hostility. He's now responding to a group of people that are mad about it, not the group of people that want to know. So is he going to be softer about it? It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Oh, you want to know how it is? It's because of Jesus. Oh, it's by his name, meaning his character, his way. And then in his very gentle way, oh, you know, whom you crucified, <laughs> you know, you killed him. God raised him from the dead, and this man stands before you healed. Jesus, and now he's going back to their own understanding from the Hebrew Scriptures. He's the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. In other words, even the rejection was part of God's movement. It's addressing the hostility in our own need. Every one of us has to not be submitted to him, but to be our own God. Truly, when we're face to face, we want to reject him. And he says, even though salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. <laughs> I want you to consider what he did there. Because you realize they're in opposition now. Oh, and by the way, when God moves, there will always be opposition. And the hard part is it's often religious opposition, not often, we kind of call it like secular people or the unchurched. That means within the church itself, it can be opposed. Because man, sometimes Jesus moves and freaks us out and it takes the control away from us. Wait, I like the way this is going. I don't like what you're saying. And the, the part that's amazing is he had unbelievable courage. These are people that can take his life and he goes, listen, I'm not gonna quote this. This is the Jesus that was crucified. You were part of this. You're part of the people that reject him that he becomes the chief cornerstone. You realize that's amazingly courageous to say, don't you? It's like looking at people that can kill you and go, hey, you want to know how he did it? It was Jesus, who you don't think actually rose. And by the way, it's your fault. But if you want to be saved, you can. You can have new life, but you have to receive that. We don't get to play it so you feel better. That is unbelievable courage. Maybe we'd say it's courage that we want to be known for. Maybe it's courage in the face of adversity. Maybe that's what we want to be known for. Now I want to take you to how they now see him. These are people outside of believing and how they perceive him. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and then they realized these are unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note. Now before I show you what it says and what they saw, how they actually viewed them, they were ordinary men. Not noteworthy of anything, basically, they were unschooled and ordinary. What that means is there was nothing impressive about them. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? Think about how we operate in everything. You know what? If we're going to move ahead, we need people that are good. We need people that are highly qualified. And I'm not dying for ineptness. I want to recognize that ordinary is how God moves. God's not impressed with aptitudes, with higher capacity, with achievement. And it's very clear there was nothing in who they were that was impressive. Now that should be incredibly hopeful to all of us because even whoever is the most impressive in this room or the most impressive online, probably at a global level, not so much. Can we just acknowledge that we're ordinary people? That we're not impressive? Do you realize God wants to use ordinary, unimpressive people to change the world? Maybe even as we talk about where we're going, you'd go, that's not me. That's those special people. Peter and John, I mean, they were unique people. They, 
They weren't. <laughs> they were ordinary people. In fact, they wouldn't even made the rabbi list to get, become students, and yet Jesus picked them. They were failures. But they didn't have great SATs. They weren't great ACTs. They didn't go to the best schools. They didn't go to any schools. They were even mediocre fishermen. They weren't winners at everything they did. That should be incredibly great for all of us. You know what it means? There's nothing in us that God is looking for of these special people because every one of us has infinite value in the ordinary way he's made us. And what they're seeing is not extraordinary people. Let me show you what they see. Really simple. These men had been with Jesus. Oh, these men had been with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus. Oh, we're not even looking and seeing the power that was moving. We're not looking at seeing their eloquent words. All we see is that these people had been with Jesus. This is outside. These aren't even people inside, and they can tell something's different about them. Not because they're great people, not because they're highly accomplished, because they've been with Jesus. They didn't even say, it's amazing that they healed them. It's amazing that they knew what to say back to us. They've been with Jesus. That's how they were known. They were known as people who'd actually been with Jesus. Now, I, I know it, it, maybe that's complicated, but let me, let me make it simpler. Uh, people who are known for being with Jesus, uh, they hang out with Jesus. They live with Jesus. They're, I wanted to say people who are known for being with Jesus uh, like to be with Jesus. I, I know it, maybe it sounds oversimplified, but it actually is the simplest truth. There's this amazing word for it. It's a word we use in the English. We use it around church a lot. And sometimes church words can lose their meaning, and I want to claim it. This is a word we need deep meaning for. One word. One word that helps us understand this. This is it. Abiding. Abiding not in the sense that we accommodate. Abiding mean we live with that we hang out with, that we are known by and knowing them and following and being like. One author illustrates it this way. They were at a ski trip and saw a bunch of blind skiers, which I know already sounds odd. Each one had a unique vest on, but there was someone right in front of them. While they couldn't see them, there was enough sound and things they knew to follow. They blindly followed wherever they went, they went. And they were all skiing and skiing well because they were close to and following in step with. That's a picture of abiding. It's being with. It's being with. It's being with. And, and in case you don't know, I mean, abiding is the end. It's not the, it's not the transaction to get somewhere. Jesus uses this statement when he's talking to his disciples before he's going to be crucified. He says, you need to abide in me and I'll abide in you. You need to remain is the word we'll hear in the English sometimes, but abide is a word that's historically been said. In other words, let's stay connected, let's stay connected, let's be connected, let's stay connected. And then he says, those who are with me, they produce a lot of fruit. Now, unfortunately, what happens is we think of abiding as a means to an end. We want to be people that are with Jesus so we get to see all the good stuff. We get to have the healings. We get to have all these other things. What it says is you'll bear much fruit and it's to my Father's glory, which means their end game is by abiding with Jesus, God produces things that glorify who Jesus is. And our appetite is for him being glorified, not for our advancement. And I want to say it this way. We talk about this, and I'm going to keep saying it and keep saying it and keep saying it. The best thing Jesus gives us is him, not what produces from him. And so very simply, 
people that are with him and are known for being with him are people that abide because they want him. And the result of that are people that can walk into a temple and walk into the neighborhood and walk into the coffee shop and walk into work and they see people. They don't just see them. They actually look straight at them and they see them. They see the hopelessness. They see the pain. They see the struggle. And they naturally and supernaturally want to see the kingdom greet those people, bring life where there's death, grow muscles where they don't exist, heal pain that's already there, bring hope where there's hopelessness, bring new trajectories naturally and supernaturally because they know Jesus and that's what he wants, not because they want to be exalted for it. There are people that walk out into situations when people ask and go, let me tell you about who he is because I actually know who he is and you got to know him. Then they're opposed and people are doing everything they can to stop it. They're like, go ahead and try. Listen, you couldn't stop the resurrection, and I'm just going to tell you what it means. I'm not going to worry about me because I'm going to be courageous. You want to know where courage comes from? It comes from knowing Jesus and being with him. And it's not because we care about all that happens out. It's because we just want to know him more. Like I said, it's a simple idea, and I'm telling you, I believe it can happen. It's one of the things I most ache over because... A typical thing when you sit around with pastors and talk is we build programs hoping that we can get you to do some things at least with the idea that no one, people aren't really going to buy that they could actually be with him and grow with him. And I'm here to tell you, yes, you can. And we will not settle for less than that. We want more. And I want you to know this is not new for us. One of our big rocks, one of our paths to getting here, we call live it before you lead it. And it means our staff, our board, our leaders, we are already trying to discover what's it mean to be with him and how do we grow in this and how do we discover it? Not how do we pretend, oh, I had my quiet time. Oh, I did this three times this week. How do we actually discover his presence? And when it doesn't go well, how are we honest? Like, listen, I can't even find him right now. Help me. I'm reminded of this story, a graduate student who was moving into ministry uh, shared she had been struggling, doing all this work on who Jesus is, all this work about it, and felt like, I don't even have disciplines to know him, I'm just writing about him. She went to Eugene Peterson, who's a pretty well-known pastor, and uh, said, what do I do? I'm not disciplined. How do I even discover who he is and not just talk about him? And he said, do you have anything in your life that's disciplined? And she said, you know, the only thing that's disciplined is I have kids, and I get up every day, and I feed them, and I care for them, and then I do it again, day after day after day. And one of them in particular, our most recent, our youngest little girl, has reflux problems. So I feed her, and then she throws up, and then I clean it up, and then we try to do it again, and I do this over and over and over again. How in the world am I even going to ever be with him? How am I ever going to discover who he is? And Eugene Simon said, that's where he is, is in that one discipline. Start there. All he's saying is start there. You start to be his presence when you're with her instead of trying to find him do something for you. Discover him in what you're doing. It's one step. She said it was transformational. I want to say to you today, I don't know what your one step is, and I'm going to give you some ways we want to cultivate it, but maybe it's just discovering who he is in the midst of your circumstance. Because I know all the arguments I'm going to hear. You need to be with Jesus. Well, I mean, my life's busy. My life is real. You don't, do you know what it's like to raise children? Do you know how hard it is to find time? And I don't. It is hard. We raised four of them. I was tired for eight years. I was still tired later, but the first years I never slept. I remember not having an easy time finding time. That, let's not say we can't do it. Let's say, how does God meet us in it? I have people who are single that will say to me, I have so much alone time. I just need to be with people. 
I don't argue with that either. And you know what? When he says abide, he's talking about us, not just alone, but together. It should be communal in that. And that might be what you need right now. I have people in other circumstances that go, you know what? I'm just not wired that way. I'm an activist. I get things done. Those people sit around and they don't get things done. That's just not true. You see, if your activism is I have to get things done like I do in order to feel okay, then you haven't learned to be. God made every one of us to be in relationship. He didn't go, well, you can be with me and you go get things done for me. He goes, you want to know what the best thing is? It's me. Go ahead and get things done, but if you have lost who I am, you're doing the wrong things the wrong way. Maybe some of you think you're not worthy. You know what? God would never want to be with me. Ordinary, unschooled men. These dudes failed at lots of stuff. It gives me hope every day. I'm not ashamed of being mediocre. I'm more than happy to say, listen, I am not going to, people are not going to write books about how I live, but they will know I am pursuing Jesus. And man, he's amazing. Ordinary people with an unimaginable, extraordinary God, that's who we follow. And he's for all of us. I, I am really clear on this. Like, I've been here 22 years. I've been in this role since 2008. I've never had more clarity in who God's making us to be than we are to be people who are known for being with him, people who abide. And if you tell me you're not made that way, I'll tell you you're wrong. You just are wrong. I don't know what steps mean, but we want to take them with you. Maybe you're just stuck. Maybe you're believing a lie. But God made you to know him. And the best thing he gives you is him. And I just love that the people that most opposed the church said those people had been with Jesus. And I am jealous for people to say that about us. All of you. I want to pray for us, but I want to give you two simple things that are coming up that can be helpful in this. One is we'll have 21 days of prayer. It will begin Monday, January 10th, which is a week from tomorrow. And we will have stuff online. If you go to allshores.org slash 21, we actually have a daily prayer guide. It's a way to engage initially in Scripture. But I want to remind you, we read Scripture to know Jesus. We don't read it to get information. So it's learning how do we hear him in that. That will be our step we'll be taking. We would love to have you engage in this, and we'll talk about it again next week. And then the following evening, the, the Tuesday the 11th, we are going to have a core night here in Spring Lake which will be a night at 6.30, just for an hour, I will roll out for you four simple practices and how you might engage with them that will serve you to create a culture and climate to discover who he is. It's all we want to work at with you. I want to pray for us with this in mind. Maybe you hear the call, Jesus saying, come and be with me. Maybe you're like the beggar going, I just need a touch right now. Maybe you're in doubt and you got to be honest about that. Wherever you are, I want to pray that God would meet you. Let me pray for us. Lord, I ask uh, today, as I did at the beginning, I know I'm not going to convince people, and I confess I'm an ordinary uh, person with nothing unique to bring. But Lord, I say, Jesus, you are a unique one. There is no one like you and no other name by which we can be saved. So Jesus, I am asking for an outpouring of your power to people that, like a beggar, sit day after day after day, hopeless and helpless, that they would sense you strengthening and building up what is broken and unfixable. God, I pray for those of us who follow that we would discover you. And as we discover you, we would begin to see people around us that are broken and hopeless. God, that we would be people that have faith to actually declare and demonstrate and show your power and people that have courage to tell of who you are 
in incredibly kind and honest ways. God, we want to be people who abide, and from that abiding, bring your compassionate eyes and heart to a world in need naturally and supernaturally. I pray you would help us to that end in your name. Amen.